This is the View from Apollo podcast, an ongoing conversation on alternative investing, economics, and the trends shaping up financial markets. In this episode of The View from Apollo, Chief Economist Torsten Slock speaks with Jim Vanek, co-head of Global Performing Credit, about what's happening in the credit markets and potential opportunities in private credit. Here's Jim's take on the market today. There remains a very strong opportunity and a very strong level of demand for credit capital from sponsors and companies and management teams to engage in new opportunities, whether that be around M&A or growth, and being able to supply the capital to fund those opportunities at very attractive rates on a senior secured basis where we're taking advantage of floating rate structures and getting paid what remain very elevated base rates is really attractive. Also, Torsen and Jim explore the economic backdrop recap the performance of credit markets so far in 2023, discuss the importance of vintage today, and delve into details around potential opportunities, from company size to fundamental characteristics to sectors of interest. And Jim also has a great reading recommendation. You don't want to miss that. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Torsten Slock, Chief Economist here at Apollo, and you're listening to the View from Apollo podcast. My guest today is Jim Vanek, co-head of Apollo's global performing credit business and a seasoned veteran of the show. And we're here today to discuss the outlook for credit markets and gather his views on the asset class. So without any further ado, let me get right into it. Jim, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here, Torsten. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. So before we dig into the many topics that we want to discuss, let me just try to contextualize things by providing a brief overview of the economy and what we have experienced so far in 2023. Obviously, inflation continues to be a major issue in financial markets. The good news is that inflation peaked last summer at around 9%, and now inflation has been coming down to, for headline, around 3%. For core inflation, we're still around 5%. But those levels, 3 to 5%, are still too high relative to the Fed's 2% inflation target. So with that backdrop, and including also that the labor market continues to be quite strong, the Fed still is in a hawkish mode trying to continuously say, we are not going to cut rates anytime soon. Interest rates are going to stay high at least until the end of this year, and most likely well into 2024. Their worry is that inflation may start to reaccelerate. So from that perspective, the broader backdrop for a conversation about credit is that the Fed is still telling us that the cost of capital is going to stay high, at least for the foreseeable future. So with this, turning to you, Jim, how have credit markets performed so far this year? And what is your current assessment of the asset class? Sure, Torsten. So credit markets have performed well this year due to a lot of the reasons that you're outlining. Floating rate strategies have performed modestly better than, than fixed rate strategies. If you look at the loan market in the United States, it's up a little over eight and a half percent so far year to date. If you look at the high yield market in the U.S., um, it's up a little bit more than six percent so far year to date. So the performance has been has been good, particularly given we're still in this period as you've mentioned, where economic data continues to come in different forms. And it hasn't necessarily been consistent when we think about what it portends for the, for the medium and long term. If you look at valuations in the floating rate markets in particular, despite what we've seen in the form of outperformance spreads remain compelling in wide of 500 basis points. And we've seen spread tightening in the high yield market in the U.S., 
given, I think, an expectation that um, we're getting closer to a place where we're going to see lower rates and fixed rate strategies offer some convexity higher in an environment where rates start to come down. So performance has been has been strong, valuations remain compelling, and we continue to find a lot of opportunity to invest at really attractive go-forward yields, again, despite what's been a good year so far for credit. Yeah, so let's turn to credit availability. Uh, with banks, and of course, especially regional banks, still keeping tight lending standard practices, what's your current assessment of the lending market today from direct origination to syndicated deals? Sure. So the lending environment has normalized relative to, to what we saw last year across both public and private strategies, specifically with regards to the the capital that's available to refinance debt. So we've seen really healthy volumes um, in the syndicated markets in both the high yield and the loan market, but nearly all of that has been focused on refinancing shorter dated maturities. So really it's about existing bondholders and existing syndicates extending out the maturity on the deals that they own at higher rates, which makes sense, right? For good credits that are performing well to get paid more to own the same risk and extend out a modest number of years definitely makes sense. And it's one of the reasons why we think credit is so compelling at the moment because you can take good risk and get paid substantially more for it than historically you've been able to. But again, a lot of, or really all of this activity is really centered around the refinancing opportunity. We're still seeing very little public debt, either in bond or loan form, that's being created in order to finance new LBO activity or new corporate finance activity. The amount of of syndicated debt in the public markets that's being raised to finance new activity remains very small which is why the overall debt issuance numbers in both the bond market and the loan market year to date are down substantially from where they would be in any kind of normal period, even if the market is normalizing somewhat. This is one of the reasons why we're so focused on what we do in direct origination. There remains a very strong opportunity uh, and a very strong level of demand for credit capital from sponsors and companies and management teams to engage in new opportunities, whether that be around M&A or growth, uh, and being able to supply the capital to fund those opportunities at very attractive rates on a senior secured basis where we're taking advantage of floating rate structures and getting paid what remain very elevated base rates is really attractive. And it's one of the reasons why At Apollo, we like being able to operate in all markets um, and then specifically right now being able to focus on what we're doing in direct origination. Again, because that opportunity remains very compelling and the spread opportunity there relative to the public markets remains roughly 250 to 300 basis points wide to where we're able to invest in in public credit. Yes, so with a high level of rates and the regional banks facing some challenges and primary high yield markets, also running at lower rates than normal. I mean, that looks like a good opportunity to deploy capital. So are you finding good opportunities in the current market? I mean, how fast are you putting money to work these days? We absolutely are finding good opportunities. We try to remain as methodical as possible when we think about deployment. When we deploy capital, um, we're thinking about every individual opportunity and what the credit characteristics of that company look like. We are still in an uncertain environment where debt is expensive, which means interest expense is elevated. Um, we're in an environment where macroeconomic uncertainty needs to be measured when we think about what the outcomes are going forward over the next one to two to three years in the life of any credit. So our deployment 
really depends on the quality of the opportunities that we see come in. And those opportunities remain voluminous and and typically of a higher level of quality. So while we want to take advantage of the fact that the return profile investing in credit is so strong right now, we continue to be very focused on downside risks for individual credits for macroeconomic reasons around primarily the cost of interest and also what should be potentially a more difficult environment going forward to continue to grow revenue to the extent the economy starts to slow and really be focused on the individual businesses that we're lending into. So to take a step back, the environment remains really good. We continue to see a lot of very attractive opportunities, but we are being, as I said, methodical as we think about the individual credits that we're entering into, given the overall environment. Oh, that's very interesting. So when you select the different credits, I mean, Broadly speaking, what's the profile of those opportunities that uh, you're looking at at the moment? So our focus is primarily on large cap direct lending, where we're looking to lend into businesses that are generating a lot of EBITDA. Typically, we use $100 million worth of EBITDA as a floor. The point being, these types of opportunities allow us to deploy at scale, and they also allow us to lend to, to companies that have bigger business models, more diversity across geography and product and we think are also set up very well to perform in any kind of economic environment. The underlying analysis um, is always focused on, on cash flow primarily and what that looks like in any kind of environment. In this current environment, what we're seeing is that cash flow, all things held equal, is going to be more pressured than it would in a zero interest rate environment, just given how expensive debt is. And our work is typically focused on what that means for a company's ability to engage in its business model, to spend the amount it needs to spend on CapEx, both growth and maintenance, thinking through the implications of working capital needs at a company as it relates to their overall cash flows. It's an entirely different environment right now when you're lending to a company than it would have been prior to 2022. And additionally, one of the reasons it makes so much sense to think about things from a micro and from a macroeconomic perspective, if we're in a situation towards the end of the year and into next year where the economy starts to slow, you can't really lend into capital structures that depend on growth in order for the amount of debt to work based on the cash flow a company's generating. So that's a, an important element when we think about looking at individual opportunities. No, that makes complete sense. I mean, the consensus, as you and I often talk about, is expecting a slowdown over the coming quarters. So, uh, of course, if that slowdown does come, and of course, in particular, if we do get a recession, uh, that will come uh, with uh, some significant downside risk. You mentioned direct originations also. I mean, how do you see them in 2023 compared to what we've seen over the last few years? Uh, it was a very slow start to the year, particularly after the events in the regional banking system in, in March, given M&A volumes across all markets were really down substantially. At our firm, we've been deploying at a pace that is greater than we were able to do in 2022, which was another very good time to be deploying capital in the origination space. But at the same time, there was a slowdown in the beginning of the year just based on reduced M&A activity. We've seen M&A activity pick up coming into and then out of the summer and expect that it will continue to increase going into the end of the year based on what we understand demand looks like from companies and sponsors for debt capital to fund acquisitions. So the opportunity remains really strong with regards to the number of different deals that we're able to look at. The reason we're so focused on direct origination right now continues to be the fact that the companies that we're financing are strong necessarily based on what the cost of debt is for any business at the moment. The companies that we're lending to have to generate a lot of cash in any kind of environment in order to support new lending. And one of the reasons we 
we like the opportunity so much at the moment is that the quality of businesses that we're able to lend into is high relative to what you see in other kinds of environments, just based on the need to be able to support interest expense. So we really like the quality of companies that we're having an opportunity to lend into. The structures are typically more conservative than you see in direct lending. Given the amount of equity that needs to come into a business to support debt that is more expensive, we appreciate that on its own, given it means loan to values are relatively low versus where you typically sit in a private capital deal. It also means that you have more support in the form of cash, typically at the point of a, of a loan being made, which helps with regard to interest expense and also cash flow going forward. So in general, the quality of the companies that we have the opportunity to lend into is is typically strong. The structures that we're lending into are conservative from a lender's perspective, um, more so than you're you're typically able to to lend into. Um, and again, the kinds of companies that are are being bought right now or looking to expand via M&A are typically of a higher quality than you're able to achieve in some of these strategies. So across the board, there's a there's a lot of reasons to really like the opportunity that you're getting um, by lending as a, as a senior secured creditor right now. So direct origination seems to be a trend with a lot of staying power. W- would you agree with that? Uh, I think so. And I, I think it speaks to a lot of the the themes that I know you focus on, Torsten, and that we're, we're focused on here at Apollo, where not because of individual events or dynamics, like what's going on with the regional banking system in the U.S. right now, which probably doesn't impact corporate credit very substantially, but because of the way lending dynamics are changing in various markets, the opportunity set to lend directly to the companies that want to get capital out of institutions like Apollo is incrementally greater consistently than it has been historically. And while this may change in, in fits and starts, your med dynamic may improve or become diluted based on what volatility looks like more broadly at any given point in time, the long-term evolution in, in how lending occurs in various markets is definitely moving to a place where origination is becoming a much more important element of how both companies and then lending institutions think about growing their business. We're able to achieve that right now in the corporate credit markets in a manner that we find to be very compelling. We're seeing a greater instance of origination becoming important and private debt become important in other markets that our firm is very involved in. And I think that this is a theme that over the long term is only going to become more entrenched and become more important, not just for lenders, but also to borrowers and to investors who are looking to get access to these markets. Okay, so let's now turn to talking about defaults. Um, when I look at default rates, I mean, more recently, we have seen in particular in the last six months, quite a move higher, uh, in particular, of course, for high yield defaults, uh, but also for loans. In some sense, from a macro perspective, this is not surprising. I mean, the Fed is trying to increase the cost of capital. Uh, and when the Fed increases the cost of capital, that means that it becomes more difficult for companies to get financing, both new loans and rollover existing loans. So with that backdrop, it does look like a default side cycle has started at least from a very low level of the bottom that we were in here 18 months ago. Uh, and to some degree, this is certainly a normalization, but the uptrend that we're seeing in defaults at the moment, how concerned are you about that? And how do you think about that uh, from your chair? Well, I know you focus on this and, and talk about it a lot, Torsten, and it is a very important point. Um, and I think that one of the the points that you consistently make um, is sometimes lost on the on the market. If right now the default rate is in the mid twos and lower than historical averages of around 3%. That doesn't take into account what the impact of tighter financial conditions is going to be on the default rate in six months, 12 months, 18 months. The Fed is trying to slow the economy. 
at the same time keep rates elevated for an extended period of time, that's going to negatively impact cash flows. And it seems almost necessary that the default rate is going to increase from, from where we are currently into next year. At the same time, because the economy remains strong, the default rate right now is really nowhere near as high. So we're in this kind of interesting point in time where fundamental performance is good. Debt is very expensive. You're starting to see interest coverage ratios move lower. The default rate is incrementally higher, but it's not at a level that would be commensurate with the interest rate environment that we're in right now. When we think through what that means, the companies that are defaulting in the beginning of 2023 typically have business model issues that are that are causing them to default. We're not seeing defaults occur because debt is expensive or interest expense is high. We're seeing companies default because they have business model problems that don't allow them to refinance their existing debt, service their existing debt, or extend it out. One of the elements that we're currently seeing as we think through what a modestly higher default rate means is that the recovery rate on deals that have defaulted so far in 23 is very low. And it's in large part because some of these businesses are going to be liquidated. Some of these structures were diluted prior to the point at which a company filed for bankruptcy by sponsors that took advantage of loose language and credit agreements to create optionality to the detriment of lenders. So even if we're in an environment where default rate is modestly higher, relatively low, um, the recovery that we've seen on the first credits to default in this default cycle has been really punitive. I think that if the outcomes, I believe, not to put words in your mouth, but that you're expecting to occur where we see a higher default rate into next year start to play out, the types of companies that are going to are going to struggle in anything other than a, a very bad economic environment are probably going to be better businesses that have been able to withstand higher levels of interest expense for an extended period of time. And you're going to see that recovery rate dynamic shift a little bit where it probably moves higher, even as the default rate moves higher. Um, but it's something that we're thinking about consistently, not just as it relates to our existing portfolios and also the companies that we've lent into, but also as we think about how investors react to credit markets that are offering really attractive risk return into the future, but are also experiencing more fundamental weakness. You start to see signs of, of problems like an elevated default rate become more prominent than they are currently. No, and that, I mean, the special combination that we have at the moment, as you and I talk about often also, is that we have high cost of capital. That means higher debt servicing costs. But at the same time, the business environment is actually still okay. So in that sense, a higher cost of capital is, of course, not helpful. But at the same time, if business is fine, well, then at least that's positive. If we do get the opposite situation where business starts to turn down, and if we do get a slowdown, and if we do, ultimately, we might even get a recession, well, then we will also begin to see rates come down and the cost of capital come down. So yes, then business might be worse. But then when it comes to cost of capital, we might actually get some relief. So those two forces are playing a very important role. And given where we are right now, where it's just the cost of capital that's high and that's weighing on balance sheets, but business is still okay, is of course uh, uh, quite unique uh, as the Fed continuously try to get inflation to come down. And ultimately, they will reach that goal, most likely sometime by the second half of next year. And then, of course, we no longer need to have cost of capital at these very elevated levels. So talking about this from a broader perspective, uh, you see across a, different, a lot of different sectors and industries, uh, how widespread is this problem that the cost of capital is uh, still so elevated? 
It's a really good point, Torsten, because you can't look at every company the same, right? And there are different implications in different industries and types of business models. An elevated cost of capital is reducing the ability of companies to spend what they might spend in a normalized environment on on CapEx. Um, So growth businesses that depend on the ability to spend capital on CapEx and also above the operating profit line on sales and marketing and other elements that allow them to grow their business, including research and development, have probably slowed that down. Um, We hear from um, companies that depend on corporate clients to be spending on their own growth that some of those purchases are are being delayed or are happening in smaller size. And this is going to impact higher growth businesses to a greater extent um, because there's just less cash flow to spend on the other elements of, of a company that drive growth than there would be in an environment where, where rates are lower. So that's an area that we're seeing as struggling because of the interest rate environment that we're in. Additionally, as we think about kind of the, the parts of the market that we're most worried about in an elevated default environment, what we really want to do is be deploying capital now because capital structures currently are typically more defensive than they would have been um, if you were lending into a business in 2018, 2019, even 2020, where there's less debt relative to total capital, where leverage levels are probably modestly lower, and you've seen more equity come into to structures. I think the vintage of exposure that investors have in a more difficult economic environment, um, like we expect in the future, is going to be really important to outcomes and also impact what total returns look like given different vintages of credit are going to perform differently in this environment um, over its entirety. And we're worried about kind of credits that were underwritten before this period where interest rates were elevated in an elevated default cycle. Let's also talk about one very important dimension you have mentioned already several times, which is the company size. I mean, when I think about cost of capital being high, obviously there's some very important differences across the difference, whether you're a small cap, mid cap or large cap. I mean, from your chair and the way you're looking at the opportunities at the moment, um, how should I think about um, differences between whether we're talking middle market or large cap and what the opportunities are at the moment? Sure. There continue to be really good opportunities to lend into both middle market and and large cap companies. Our focus is on lending into large cap businesses because we think you can achieve the same or better return profile um, than you can get lending into smaller companies. And at the same time, position yourself more defensively from a credit perspective by lending into to bigger companies, larger enterprises that again, may have a greater diversity across geography or, or product and also economies of scale around pricing power and also around how they're able to negotiate on inputs than a smaller business. We really like focusing on that opportunity because it's a nascent opportunity for investors in, in private credit. Um, and while we still see as an institution opportunities in the middle market space that are very attractive, the fact that now in corporate private credit, you're able to get access to larger companies in our mind only enhances, particularly if you're able to do it at the same or better return profile, what your overall outcomes are going to be in, in any economic environment. So it's something that we've been excited about um, for our firm for some time. And we're starting to see a lot of interest in this concept from investors who typically weren't able to get access to it previously. And also are looking to expand portfolios and diversify them away from traditional middle market lending into a space that we think could be more defensive and will be more conservative in a negative economic environment going forward. That's really interesting, Jim. So in terms of sectors and industries, where do you see the opportunities at the moment? 
Sure. So to start, regardless of sector or industry, we're typically looking for the same sort of business model and characteristics of a business model that um, makes a really good borrower with regards to consistency, a lack of volatility around what they experience in revenue, highly consistent cash flow generation, contracts whenever possible. And you can find that in, in various industries, despite the fact that obviously the underlying market or, or business may be different or its margin profile may be different. One of the areas that we've been focused on um, particularly in a space that that has a lot of noise around it right now, given underperformance within healthcare and the credit markets has been on healthcare technology, where you see really consistent revenue generation, very sticky relationships with customers that are very valuable for companies with their customers, consistent cash flow generation in most or any kind of economic environment. Um, healthcare technology is an area that we've been we've been focused on of late. Okay, so let's just take a last step back here before we wrap up in a moment. I mean, one very important aspect, of course, of um, of thinking about corporate finance at the moment is the difference between whether you want to invest in equity relative to bond. In other words, when you think about the capital structure and the backdrop of this very elevated level of yields and the high level of interest rates that we have at the moment, can you talk to us about how do you think about the capital structure given the current backdrop of where we are uh, today? Well, we also talk about this a lot, um, Torsten. Um, it's hard to make nine and a half to eleven and a half percent lending on a senior secured first lien basis, and at the same time expect the sort of returns in the equity market that we've experienced in benign market environments. There has to be some kind of trade-off there, and. The fact that you can generate as much yield as you can by being a senior secured lender is an opportunity that we don't think should be passed up based on what we expect the outcomes to be for other markets in the future. Our focus has always been with regards to the capital structure on first lien senior secured lending as opposed to, to taking subordinated risk to make um, a very modest incremental amount of, of spread or yield. Uh, and the environment to do that has never been as as attractive as it is right now, even looking back to the to the global financial crisis. So when we think about capital structure, when we look at what yields are for high single B, low double B debt, it's compelling relative to to both different parts of the structure that might be subordinated and also different elements of the credit market. Though credit right now in general, if you're just comparing it to equities, remains a really attractive opportunity set. Oh, well, we could keep uh, going here, but unfortunately, we are reaching our allotted time. But before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you about a personal recommendation. And that could be anything, a book you're reading, a movie you've seen, a soccer game that you've seen. Uh, what's occupying your time when you're thinking about credit markets? <laughs> well, I did have a I did have a recommendation for you, Torsten, particularly for um, anybody who lives in New York or is a New Yorker. I just finished a book called Last Call at Coogan's by a man named John Michaud which is about the development of a bar um, up in Washington Heights and what it meant for the communities that lived there during a, a very turbulent time in the history of New York and Manhattan and then into the pandemic. It was incredibly interesting to me to, to think through the more recent history of, of what's gone on in New York City, including all the way up until today, and also how we think about policy and planning in cities that are changing as dynamically as Manhattan is. I thought it was It was very interesting, very well written. I enjoyed it. So last call at Coogan's, that was my recommendation. Wow, that's really exciting. I mean, my recommendation is going to sound really boring. I've been reading 
a book by uh, Bing Wang and Tobias Just uh, that's called Understanding China's Real Estate Markets. Uh, as you and I also talk a lot about, there's a lot of things going on outside the U.S. Uh, that uh, we all spend a lot of time on. And what's going on in China is uh, at the moment taking up uh, a lot of my time and thinking about what can be done and what's going on in the Chinese housing market and more broadly in the Chinese economy is uh, something that uh, I've been spending time on also this summer. So that's, of course, a very different dimension relative to what a bar is doing in the upper Manhattan. But uh, that's uh, that was a great recommendation. And with that, I'd like to say thanks again, Jim, for being with us today. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for having me on, Torsten. This podcast was recorded on August 24, 2023. Thanks for listening. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible, or by visiting apolloacademy.com, our educational website dedicated to alternative investing where you can also sign up to have Torsten's Daily Spark economic blog delivered directly to your inbox. Once again, thanks for listening. Apollo Global Management Incorporated, together with its subsidiaries, Apollo, makes no representation or warranty expressed or implied with respect to the accuracy, reasonableness, or completeness of any of the statements made during this podcast, including, but not limited to, statements obtained from third parties. Opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the current judgment of the speaker as of the date indicated. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Apollo and are subject to change at any time without notice. Apollo does not have any responsibility to update this podcast to account for such changes. There can be no assurance that any trends discussed during this podcast will continue. Statements made throughout this podcast are not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, or tax advice and do not constitute an investment recommendation or investment advice. Investors should make an independent investigation of the information discussed during this podcast, including consulting their tax, legal, accounting, or other advisors about such information. Apollo does not act for you and is not responsible for providing you with the protections afforded to its clients. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product, or service, including interest in any investment product or fund or account managed or advised by Apollo. Certain statements made throughout this podcast may be forward-looking in nature due to various risks and uncertainties. Actual events or results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in such forward-looking information. As such, undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of terminology including, but not limited to, may, will, should, expect, anticipate, target, project, estimate, intend, continue, or believe, or the negatives thereof, or other variations thereon, or comparable terminology.